Well, good morning. I said good day earlier, so I get to say good morning now. Good day. Good day. <laughs> uh, turn with me, if you will, to uh, Galatians 3.6. If you don't have a Bible today, you want a, a, a copy to follow along with, please raise your hand and someone will bring you a copy. I do want to assure you, I did take a shower today, so I noticed the first two rows are, are empty here. So, you know. Don't worry. Um, last week, last week, we saw that Paul was finished with the historical portion of his letter to the Galatians. He re- reviewed all the history he had with them. He reviewed his uh, interaction with Peter. And uh, he began uh, to defend the, the gospel of faith alone uh, by first mentioning the experiences that the Galatians had. And the, the first five verses of chapter 3, um, he said that the Galatians have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then returning to the law, they were in effect, they were insulting the members, each one, of the Trinity of God. Right? And he, he said, Paul asked him, he said, who has bewitched you? Implying that someone had come in and tricked them with empty promises and flattery. We saw that in response to these bewitchers, the Galatians were not like the noble Marines and had not used their minds to search out with great diligence whether what had been told them was from God or whether it was from Satan. And like the harlot in Proverbs 7, these bewitchers had, with the flattery of their lips, seduced the Galatians. And the Galatians had followed them as an axe, or as an ox, excuse me, goes to the slaughter. So now, having examined the previous experiences and pointing out the foolishness of what they were doing, Paul is going to do what the Galatians should have done. And he's going to turn to the scriptures, and he's going to defend the gospel. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're starting at uh, verse 6 there, so Galatians 3, verse 6. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those that who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. For as many as are the works workers of law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let's pray. Lord, we pray as the psalmist prays in Psalm 119, We are laid low in the dust. Preserve our lives according to your word. We give an account of our ways and you answer us. Teach us your decrees. Cause us to understand the way of your precepts, that we may meditate on your wonderful deeds. Our soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen us according to your word. Keep us from deceitful ways. Be gracious to us and teach us your law. We have chosen the way of faithfulness. We have set our hearts on your laws. We hold fast to your statutes. Lord, do not let us be put to shame. Amen. You may be seated. So as I mentioned last week, Paul was calling them the Galatians to remember their experience when Paul had first come to them and publicly preached Christ crucified. They'd received the Holy Spirit, and we, and we said they may have even 
um, had some sort of manifestation, kind of like Pentecost with the, the apostles, um, of the Holy Spirit actually pouring out on them. And they had seen miracles done through the Holy Spirit there. And, they, and then that experience should have given them the understanding that Christ's work of justification had been completed in them when they placed their faith in him. Their experience should have also given them the understanding that they, they, the Holy Spirit was working in them at the same time to perfect them or sanctify them. But they'd been bewitched. Someone had come in and deceived them, and they, they hadn't been diligently examining the scriptures to find the truth. So now Paul is going to spend the next two chapters um, digging through the scriptures, right? Digging through the scriptures to prove that faith and faith alone is the way to salvation. He, prevents, he presents three very powerful arguments from Scripture in chapters 3 and in chapter 4. The first, and this is the one that we're going to be studying today, is in chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 6 through 14. We just read it. And Paul is going to demonstrate how Abraham was made right um, through God with, with faith, faith alone. The second argument found in chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 15 and going through 25, Paul is going to show the true intent of the law. What was the law given for? And the third is in chapter 4, starting in verse 21 and going through 31, and it's going to show us who the real heirs of the promise made to Abraham are. Now, if you were listening closely, you'll notice that I missed a few verses. That's because Paul takes a break, starting in, in chapter 3, verse 26, and going to chapter 4, verse 20, and he makes a few more points about the intent of the law, and then he appeals to unity within the church, and then he appeals to his relationship that he had with the Galatians, right? He says, you received me as an angel, as Jesus Christ himself. Am I your enemy now? That's, that's in, in chapter 4 there. Paul ended our study last week with a challenge to the Galatians in verse 5. He said, so then does he who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That he who provides you with the Spirit there is God the Father. And Paul asked, did God the Father pour out his Spirit on you then when you didn't covet your neighbor's property? Did he pour out your Spirit when you didn't murder that guy that cut you off in traffic? Did he pour out your Spirit when you read your Bible for five consecutive days without missing? Or did God the Father pour out his Spirit on you when you heard the message of Jesus Christ's saving work done on the cross and accepted his salvation through faith? in that promise. And Paul continues that thought today in verse 6, and he says, Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now I need to pause here, just for a small rabbit trail here, in my Bible, and possibly in yours too, you'll notice that even so, Abraham looks normal, or Abraham looks normal, but believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, is, is all in caps. Right? And what that means is, they're quoting scripture there. So when you see those, those capital words like that, you, you realize Paul is going back to the Old Testament now, and he's going to address scripture verses. He's going to bring those scriptures out, he's going to examine them, and he's going to prove his point using them. So back to our verses there, it plays out like this. In verse 5, did God the Father pour out his spirit on you when you kept the law, or when you received the gospel of faith alone by hearing? Just as Abraham believed God, and he was counted or classified as righteous. Justified, redeemed, saved. Now the question we might have at this point is, why are we suddenly talking about Abraham? We went from the New Testament to the Old Testament in the space of a verse. 
And there are, there are a couple answers to that. First, we need to remember that as we read this book, it's not really a book. It's really a letter. And it's only half of the conversation. We're not sure exactly what issues Paul may have been addressing. I mean, we know the big ones, but we don't know the, the full extent of it. It's sort of like uh, going to Safeway and you know you always got that one person on the phone and they're yelling into their phone about what to get at Safeway, right? And, and you can hear their part of the conversation, but you can't hear the other part of the conversation. Now, the fortunate part is God's Bible is, is inspired, right? And we want to hear this conversation, unlike the conversation that we hear in Safeway. God thought it was important enough to include this in its Bible. But we still need to remember that we're only hearing half of the conversation. So that still doesn't answer why Paul, why Paul jumped from first century Galatia to 2,000 years ago in Canaan when Abraham was around. And the answer there lies in the message of the Judaizers. Remember, they were saying, faith is good. I absolutely love that you put your faith in Christ Jesus. That's wonderful. But uh, you need to be circumcised, and you need to obey the law. Think about that for a second. The law of who? Who do they always say after the law? Moses. Moses. Yes, Moses. Okay? They were telling the Galatians to be completely saved. They had to set Christ and keep the law, the law of Moses. Now, this question is easier than who came first, the chicken or the egg. All right? I promise you, it's easier. Who came first? Moses or Abraham? Abraham. First service didn't get that. They were a little shyer than you guys, so good job. Abraham. But what about circumcision? Right? So we, we, we said, okay, Paul went back to Abraham to, to beat Moses, right? Because he's saying this is even older than Moses. Right? But what about Abraham? He was circumcised, so does that not work then? If, if Abraham was circumcised and Paul points to Abraham, won't everybody say, well, see, you do need to be circumcised. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 15. We're going way back today. Genesis 15. We're going to take a look at Abraham before he became Abraham. He was known as Abram. Abram. And in Genesis 15, we're going to start at uh, uh, verse 1 there. Genesis 15. Verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I'm childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside, and he said, Now look toward the heavens, and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he, that he is Abram, believed in the Lord. And he, that he is God, reckoned it to him, that's Abram, as righteousness. He believed in the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him, reckoned to him as righteousness. Well before circumcision, well before the law. Paul says, I'll see your Moses, and I'll raise you an Abraham. <laughs> and the Judaizers say, I'll see your Abraham, and I'll raise you a, a circumcised Abraham. And Paul says, ha, gotcha. I'll see your circumcised Abram, and I'll raise you an Abram, an uncircumcised Abram that heard the promise of God and received it with faith and was counted as righteous before he was circumcised. Game, set, match. Paul has now shown that even in the Old Testament, it's always been faith and faith alone that saves. It was one sentence. 
Now, if you remember, I said there were a couple of answers to the question, why did we all of a sudden jump to talking about Abraham? The first answer was Paul was proving that faith alone has always been the road to salvation. The next answer is, to the people that Paul was writing to, the Old Testament was the only scripture they had. So Paul wouldn't have been able to say, turn to Romans 8-9 or Romans 10-9 or any of those, right? He wouldn't have been able to say that because it wasn't even written yet. Galatians was written well before Romans. Um, so they, they didn't have the scripture. So when, when they opened a copy of their scriptures, they opened a copy of the Old Testament, right? So what Paul's doing here is really nothing more than what a pastor does every Sunday now. We open up our Bible and we look through the scriptures. Their scriptures were just the Old Testament at that point. So that's what Paul was working with. So Paul uses the Old Testament to prove his point, and prove his point he does. He showed that Abraham had been counted as righteous well before circumcision and the law, and he would have known, and the Judaizers would have known too, what happened in the Old Testament directly following Abraham, who was called Abram at this point, being counted as righteous. Go back to Genesis 15. We just uh, God has just uh, looked at the faith of Abram, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And then God puts together this list, and he says, okay, I want uh, cows, some, some doves. The, the list is there. You can read it if you want. But what's important is he says, I want you to get these. I want you to butcher them, and I want you to cut them in half, and I want you to space them out and, and, and set them on the ground there. And then verse 11, we get a little comic relief there, right? Uh, we see uh, Abram shooing away the birds, right? Because he put all these dead carcasses out there. What happens when you do that? Here come the birds, right? So Abram's running out there, shooing the birds away. And then we get into verse 12, Genesis 15, 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. That's Exodus right there, right? Land of Egypt, they're coming out of Egypt. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Kadmonite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim and the Amorite, Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. That's it. There it is, folks. Genesis, the gospel, right there, Genesis 15. The gospel. Now, you might be saying the gospel, I didn't see anything but a bunch of dead, chopped up animals. Maybe a torch and a flaming oven. What's that all about? But look again. You see, the way that God set this whole thing up was based on how covenants were made in Abram's time. Long before those annoying end users, you know, when you, you install that new app on your phone and it pops up and it's like, this is the same, and you scroll, scroll, scroll. Nobody reads those things, right? We, just, we click OK. Who knows what we're giving away in those things, right? They're probably going to come take one of my kids one of these days. <laughs> Long before 50-page documents uh, full of legal jargon that probably some lawyers don't even know what they mean, this, this is how contracts were made, right? And, and, and it worked like this. They would go out, they would get these, these animals, and they Butcher them, and they would cut them in half, right down the middle. And they would put one half here and one half here. And then the people making the covenant would grab hands, and they'd walk through in between the pieces. right? And the whole thought process there was, 
whatever promise they made before they walked through there, by the time they got to the end of the, the dead animals, right? By the time they got there, if they didn't keep their end of the covenant, they were saying, may I be like these animals. May you rip me in half, right? Kind of weird if we did that today, wasn't it? Can you imagine like holding hands with Bill Gates and walking in between some dead cows? He's saying, if you ever install an unauthorized copy of Word, this will be yours. <laughs> so Abram pre prepares the covenant site, but God knows there isn't anyone on earth that can keep the covenant he's about to make with Abram. There is none righteous. No, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. So he knocks out Abram, and he walks through the middle of the pieces himself. He makes a covenant that he will uphold both ends of the covenant. He makes a covenant with himself. He will be the judge, and he will be the savior. Game, set, match, and a cherry on top. Paul gets the win. Paul keeps the pressure on and says back in Galatians, back to verse 8 now. He says, The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. Paul's kind of already demolished the Judaizers, right? We've, we've kind of established that. But Paul goes in for the, the like the knockout, knockout punch, right? The guy was already fallen. He's going to hit him on the way down. And he, and he hits he gets this, all the nations will be blessing you. It goes clear back to Genesis 12, right? So turn back to Genesis 12. You've already been to 15. We're going to go even further back. And this is when God first tells Abram to leave where he is up in the north there and come down to Canaan, right? And at Genesis 12:1, we see God speaking out, or we see what God's going to say. He says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in all the families of the earth, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So now, Paul is not only saying that the way to God has always been faith alone, he's saying that it's always been open to all people, including Jews and Gentiles. If you want a beautiful picture of this, read Jonah this week. It's only four chapters, 48 verses. The youth group is studying it. They, they convinced me that they could, they could read it this week. Put a little pressure on them a little bit there. But it's four chapters, right? 48 verses. We took a 100,000-foot view of the whole book, and we saw that God wasn't just concerned for the Jewish nation, even in the Old Testament, which is kind of what we would think in the Old Testament, right? He's just concerned about the Jews. But he sent Jonah to the Assyrians, to that evil, fish-slapping population, to call them to repentance. You didn't understand that fish-slapping <laughs> reference there. You have additional homework to do this week. Go home, turn on your smart TV, and rent the VeggieTales version of Jonah. You will be blessed, I'm sure. The Ninevites were known as the fish slappers. They did that. They smacked each other with fish. God saved 600,000 Ninevites that day, right? And we know that because in, in the chapter 4 of Jonah, he says there's 120,000 in the town that don't know their right hand from their left hand. Well, who doesn't know their right hand from their left hand, right? Kids, babies, young ones. There's 120,000 of them. And, and if you, so then you got to figure mom and dad, right? Despite what our culture tells us, it takes a mom and a dad to make a baby. And then there's grandma and grandpa, and grandma and grandpa on the other side there. So it's very easy to get to 600,000, right? 
He saved 600,000 Ninevites in the Old Testament, showing that salvation wasn't just for the Jews, but it was for the Jews and the Gentiles, even in the Old Testament. Paul wraps up his explanation of the gospel of faith alone through Abraham in verse 9 by saying, So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Paul has thus far been speaking positively, right? He's been talking about faith, and he's listing the positive things about faith. But now, in the next three verses, he's going to switch. So we got three verses of positive, now we're going to get three verses of negative, and then we'll end with two positive, super positive verses, right? We're going to go up, we're going to go down, and we're going to go back up again. Verse 10. For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Another little rabbit trail. I preach out of the NASB, the, the NASB translation. And the reason is that the way the, the translators translated the Greek, uh, it, it, the, the fashion they use is called formal equivalence. Right? That just means that when they translated the Bible, they just kind of took what the word meant in Greek and they put it in English. Right? And, and what that does is it keeps their interpretation of what the Bible says out of it and, and puts more of just what does the Bible say and leaves that open for our interpretation. It's called a, a formal equivalence. For those of you with an ESV Bible, you have a, a similar uh, translation. Another translation is the NIV translation. Now, the NIV translation style is known as a dynamic translation. And the dynamic translation seeks to, to translate the Greek in a manner that's true to the passage, but also more easily understood to modern English readers. This, of course, applies more of what the interpreter believes to what he writes down. right? Because if he's looking at it and he says, I think this, this means this, and he puts that in there, well, he's now provided some of the interpretation of Scripture, which is why I usually don't... Uh, go to the NIV that much unless I see something like this. Verse 10, it's a good example for us. And we can, we can see what I'm talking about with a dynamic translation uh, because I agree with what the NIV has written here, so I want to I want to point this out. In, in the NASV, verse 10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. In the NIV, it says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. You see how it's just a little bit easier to read there, right? And in this case, I, I absolutely agree that the, the NIV is, is right there. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. I apologize for the slight digression, but I couldn't let this example go by. This was a good one. And I agree with the NIV here. For as many as are of the works does mean for all who rely on the works of the law. What Paul is saying here is everyone who relies on works is under a curse. But what does that mean? What is a curse? And for what matter, for that matter, what is, what is this curse? In our modern age, we don't really understand curses. I mean, it's pretty rare that I will go walking down the street and I hear somebody yell at somebody else, I curse thee, right? We don't, we don't do that. Really, the only way we would hear it would be like if, if somebody swore or something like that, you know, is cursed at him, right? Which even even that's kind of being replaced with cussed. I mean, he cussed at him, right? He cursed at him. That's not, that's not the way it was in the Bible. In the Bible, curses were very serious things. Remember, in Galatians chapter 1, 
Verse 8, Paul said, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And what did a curse mean? Damn to hell. Sent to eternal punishment. And that's the curse that Paul is speaking about here. It's the curse of damnation, of hell for eternity. Everyone who relies on good works, everyone who says, uh, I'm, a, I'm a good guy, I do good things, right? They're damned to eternal punishment in hell. If that's what you're relying on, where there will be weeping, gnashing of teeth, and endless torment. And why? Why? If you turn to Deuteronomy now, Deuteronomy 27, and verse 26, Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. I'm going to set this up for you because you're coming in at the tail end here. But Moses is giving instructions to the Israelites. They're about to go into the promised land, right? And he says, when you, when you cross over the river Jordan, here's what I want you to do. Set up an altar, do a sacrifice, and have a feast, right? And so they do that. And then he says, I want you to take boulders, and I want, to, I want you to paint them with plaster or lime. And then I want you to scratch the words of the law into those boulders. So that everybody walking by can see those boulders up there and they can see God's law scratched out on those boulders. They can, they can read it. And then they can look and see the altar. Right? You ever had a campfire? You put that circle of stones around it. You have a campfire. The stones are all blackened. right? They're, they're burnt. They're going to see this blackened altar over here. And they're going to realize that God's law is here. And, and when that gets broken, it requires sacrifice. Right? And so what, what, what they, after they do that, they, they put up the law... They do the sacrifices. Then they're going to gather in this valley, and there's two mountains, right? There's uh, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, okay? And they're, they're, half of Israel is going to line up over here and half over here, and they're just going to kind of fill up this valley. And right smack dab in the middle are the Levites. Okay? And the Levites are going to shout out curses. What's going to happen if somebody breaks God's law? Right? And, and, and then there's one side. Well, actually, both sides will do this part. But both sides will say amen after each curse, right? Acknowledging that here's the curse, here's what's going to happen, we agree with this. We agree to follow God's law as we go into this promised land. In the next chapter, you'll see the blessings portion. The, the, the Levites were to shout out the blessings as well that God promises if Israel keeps their law. Interestingly, though, Moses gives them instructions to say amen after each curse, but we never see an amen after the blessings. The whole of chapter 27 is a perfect image of the law, right? With its crude and harsh scratching writing on the uncut boulders, its burnt offering, all of its curses. It's a picture of judgment. And that final verse, the one that we're going to read right now, is, is it's, it says this. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of his this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. That final verse is the one that Paul focuses in on, and we see that anyone who doesn't keep this law is cursed. Cursed, of course, meaning damned to hell, away from God's presence for eternity. And Paul wraps up the law portion of our text here in, in verses 11 and 12, and he says, in 11, he says, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. After going through and showing that all who live by the law are cursed 
verse 10. Paul goes to verse 11 and he draws on Habakkuk 2.4 by stating the righteous man shall live by faith. And then Paul puts the final nail in the coffin of law and draws on Leviticus 18.5. He who practices them shall live by them. And he's saying if you practice the law, you have to live by them. But we know that life doesn't come from the law. The law is there to kill. The law is, is once you break one law in your whole life, you're out. Guilty forever. That's right. I think it goes without saying it, that Paul has already proven that life can't come from the law. Therefore, Paul contrasts true saving faith with, with Abraham with the damnable curse of the law. And if Paul stopped there, if Paul stopped after saying that no one can keep the law, and therefore we are all cursed, we should probably just call it a day. Right? Close up the church, go home, wait on eternal judgment. Right? I mentioned the youth group was studying Jonah. And in our 100,000 foot overview of the book, I stressed to them that we have to be careful when we read the Bible. We as Americans and we as sinful humans tend to think everything's about us. Right? But when I read Jonah, I shouldn't read myself into that story. I think it's highly unlikely that any of us will leave the building here today, go to go home, and get swallowed by a great fish. Probably not going to happen, right? But what we should do when we read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is look for things like what pleases God, what displeases God, what are the characteristics of God. And in Jonah, we saw three main characteristics displayed. We saw God's sovereignty in the storm he created in the fish that swallowed Jonah, in, in the, the plant that he had grow up over Jonah as he was waiting to watch the Ninevites get destroyed, and then the little worm that ate the plant and made Jonah mad. Right? That was God's sovereignty. But we also saw God's supreme judgment. If you remember uh, Jonah's fine exposition, expositional sermon, uh, you'd probably fire him if he was your pastor because his sermons were really short. And he said this, he said, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Worship team, go ahead. Right, that was it. And he just walked through the city. In 40 days, Nineveh's going to be destroyed. He didn't want to be there. He didn't want to see them saved. We'll get into that someday. But God was the supreme judge. He had judged Nineveh, found them wanting, and threatened destruction both on earth and in eternity. And we look at that, we look at Psalm 5.5, and it says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. Don't believe the half-truth. The half-truth that has invaded our culture through weak preaching, weak study of God's word. The half-truth that God loves everybody. Friends, God sent his son to die on the cross for everybody for the world. Amen. And he loved the whole world that he sent his only begotten son, right? But if we don't turn to that son, we are considered an enemy of God. And as Psalm 5 says, he hates those enemies. He hates those who do iniquity. He is the supreme judge. He is holy. If we don't turn to Christ, we are enemies of God's. And just like in Galatians, if that's where it stopped, eternity would be a thing to be dreadfully feared. But God didn't stop there. Remember Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
If we have turned to Christ, if we have turned to God, we see that final, the final characteristic from Jonah, the gracious Savior. Right? The third attribute. God was a gracious Savior, and although he threatened to wipe out a city of roughly 600,000 people, he stayed his judgment when they turned to him. And Galatians shows us this same gracious Savior from the Old Testament. He shows it to us in the New Testament in verse 13, when Paul explains how God reconciles us. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Again, Paul goes back to the Old Testament. He goes back to Deuteronomy this time. He goes back to verse 20, or chapter 21, verse 23. And he quotes that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Now remember, I told you, like, crucifixion didn't get invented until about 100 or 200 years before Christ. But I will tell you this. When the Israelites had an especially heinous criminal, someone that, that murdered a bunch or, or raped or, or you know, did something heinous, they would execute them in the manner that they normally did, stoning and then they would take that body and they would stick it on a pole or hang it in a tree as a sign saying, what this person did is unacceptable and this is what will happen to you if you do it. That's what he's talking about here. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So as we see in our passage, no one can keep the law. All we like sheep have gone astray and are therefore cursed. And the only way we can ever be saved is for a truly righteous person to take that curse upon themselves in a substitutionary way. And that's what Christ did for you and I. We were cursed, destined for eternity in hell. And he took that curse on himself. And anyone who turns to him will have the curse removed. Our status as hated by God, as cursed, is removed by faith. Just like Abraham will be counted as righteous. Paul buttons up his argument here in verse 14 and he says that, that Christ took the curse upon himself in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This was the offer that Paul outlined using the Old Testament. And it's the same offer we have today. It's the same promise made in the Garden of Eden, passed down through the generations of believers, through Abraham, through Paul, from God to us. It's an offer that is freely made to all who repent of their sins and make Jesus the Lord of their life and offer up hope where there is no other. We can't buy it. We can't work for it. We can't wish for it. We just have to accept it. As I close, I'd like, I'd like to read uh, to you a prayer from a hymn writer who lived in the late 1600s to early 1700s. His name is Isaac Watts. It may not be a name that you... Uh, are familiar with, but I would be willing to bet you've heard some of his hymns, like When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, or you might have heard uh, Joy to the World. Um, in total, Isaac Watts wrote over 600 hymns, and also this prayer today. As the worship team comes forward now, would you please pray with me? Oh, come, Lord Jesus, and spread your light and your truth through the dark nations and scatter all the remaining mists and darknesses that lie upon countries which have only the name of Christ and some of the forms of his religion among them. Thousands there are who neither know the gospel and truth nor come to God by this mediator. They live not by the faith of the Son of God nor have just reason, 
according to the gospel, to expect divine favor and forgiveness. Blessed God, enlighten the thousands of dark and wretched mankind and lead them in your appointed way to happiness.